Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real-life rescues on the fire ground to you firsthand from those involved. I'm your host today, Grant Schwalbe, and today with me, I've got Captain Danny Dwyer. Uh, welcome, Danny. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your department? Uh, yeah, well, about myself. Well, uh, I've been with my current department uh, in Metro Atlanta for 15 years this February, so just hit the halfway mark. Um, 22 years total in the fire service. I started in 1998 with a small department just north of the city um uh suburban department uh you know did almost five years there kind of got bored outgrew it and wanted to go to the big city and uh at the time uh applied with uh the department i'm with currently a couple of different times and just going through the motions i ended up going to a, another department just next door to uh, the one I'm currently with and uh, another suburban apartment, but they get a lot of work and uh, just was trying to get busy, man. was trying to, uh, you know, ch I was chasing fires. I was 23 years old, something like that. I was just trying to get as much, as much work as I could. Um, and when I went to the, the second apartment, I uh, didn't have any intentions on leaving. I kind of put uh, Atlanta out of my mind and, uh, you know, things happen and got a call from them about a, two years later. And uh, here we sit 15 years later, made it through the ranks and uh, had a good time doing it. Uh, so what's your current assignment? Uh, I'm a captain on an engine company on the west side of downtown Atlanta. What resources do you guys get on a typical house fire? On a single story or a two story frame, we get three engines, three trucks, uh, two battalion chiefs, an air truck once it's confirmed. And if it's, uh, if we have an entrapment or multiple structures burning, they start our squad four, which is our heavy rescue unit for the city. All right. And who, within your department, who's typically doing the searches? And what's that uh, search culture look like? Well, you know, I'm proud to say that, you know, we keep engines doing engine work and we keep trucks doing truck work. So you will very rarely hear an engine, if ever, given a search assignment. So the way that the box, you know, when the box comes in, uh, your first engine's on fire attack. Your second engine is assigned writ, if need be, at the time. Um, your third engine's a backup. Your first truck is doing primary or vent, whichever the... Uh, situation dictates and the second truck is going to do the opposite so if your first trucks going to the roof second trucks going for primary first trucks going for primary second trucks going to the roof and then your third truck fills out the rick group so our trucks stick to searching they open up they search and that's pretty much it either open it up dropping ceiling or open it up with the roof um, and then the squad if they make it to the run uh, they can be, they've been filled out as a writ group. They've been sent to the roof. They can kind of act in any capacity. So we kind of use, utilize them as, uh, wherever we have holes filled currently. What's staffing like on your trucks? Um, minimal. So we run, uh, we've got four straight trucks in the city, uh, mid mount aerials. We have one tower ladder downtown and the rest are killers. So, on a tiller truck, which uh, I have only ridden, I guess I've only ridden a straight truck a few times as a fill-in, but uh, three three guys. you got two drivers and, a, and an officer. And so when you guys are assigned that primary search, how does that get split out, or, or what's your typical plan? 
Um, you know, typical plan is, you know, you, you kind of hit the door and get the job done. I, I can't say, um, I can't speak for everybody, you know, for the guys that I have always worked with. Um, we split up, search the house and get it done. Um, when we are afforded a fourth person, uh, which, you know, is, is, um, definitely not unheard of, but here lately because of staffing issues and, and retirements and stuff like that, it's been, it's been tough. But, um, if we've got four, for me personally, I love to do two to the front door, two to the seaside door, and everybody goes and you basically cut the house in half. Um, and, and where I've worked for many, many years it, it, across territories of the city, um, we're mostly dealing with one-story frames, one-story craftsmen. Um, if you have a two-story, obviously two guys are going to hit the first floor, two guys hit the second floor and knock it out. I, I, don't, I don't really believe in, you know, I don't know how to rephrase that just get it done. I'm not going to say, Hey, you know, we go this way, you go that way. Just, we, I've been blessed to work with a lot of guys with a lot of experience and we just, you knock it out. Everybody knows what needs to be done. Cool. Why don't you take us back to, uh, to that grab that you made? Okay. So, um, this was a, uh, unique incident from dispatch. Uh, the first three pieces of equipment that were assigned or would have been assigned on that, uh, alarm were out of service on the same call. So the first two engines and the first truck that would have been on this assignment were out. So when the call came in, the initial assignment was completely out of whack for, for me listening to it. You know, our truck would never have been on this call to begin with. Um, that night I was riding, uh, in charge of a double company, riding the truck, the captain was off. Uh, I was a Lieutenant at the time. And uh, when the call, again, when the call came in, I, I responded, of course, got on the rig. Uh, and I'm looking at the computer, and I'm like, something's not right. Like, the first three pieces, the first three engines that were coming weren't, should never have been going to this neighborhood. Like, it just wasn't, it was totally out of whack. So, um, that being said, we had a very extended response time for us. Uh, normally, we try and put <clears throat> the first engine on the scene within about, you know, four to five minutes downtown. I think if memory serves, this was almost an eight minute run for the first two engine. Uh, so first engine gets there. Um, the captain on the rig gave a, uh, gave a work and fire, you know, pulled up out front. He said he had heavy fire out the uh, Bravo Charlie corner. If I remember right, you know, established command went through the motions and this is a very, very experienced, fireman. I mean, he's, he's, he's one of the best. So, you know, size up was normal. Uh, second engine arrives on the scene shortly thereafter. He asked them to secure a water supply, which is a little abnormal for us. Our first two rigs generally get their own water, whether we lay in or reverse out. Um, that's just normally how we work. So some, you know, things were starting to kind of weren't adding up in my mind. I remember coming in and going, all this is kind of weird, but we had a long lay. This, this is uh, just because of uh, geogra geographically where the house sat. It was just in a, we have plugs that are 250, 300 feet apart all over. This was a longer lay. So the second engine drops about five sticks, <clears throat> a five inch. They lay out to the plug. And uh, first engine was staffed with three, a driver, an officer, and a fireman. Uh, second engine was staffed with three, same, same deal. Uh, third engine arrives on scene. It was assigned RIT. Um, 
And then the first truck arrived. I don't recall their assignment, but again, based off what we normally do, um, they're usually search. Uh, on this one, you know, that, that would have been the normal assignment. So the first new captain gets done uh, doing a, uh, sorry, I've got, sorry if you're hearing those dings. Um, first new captain gets done doing his uh, 360 and does give a confirmed entrapment. And from that point forward, everything was keyed up. And again, this is a very experienced captain. Um, I ran with him. He was our basically our sister company uh, from 16s. He was they're, they're two and a half miles away. I've been running with this guy for years. Um, but when he came back across the radio, everything was keyed up a little bit vocally, and that and that was weird for me. I was like, something's for him to get rattled. It's just not not one of those things that you hear very often. So we were still in route when he gave the update. I told the guys um, over the headphones, like, hey, we got to confirm to Travis. You know, when we get there, yada, yada, yada. You know, put my hood on, tucked everything up, and I remember zipping my stuff up a little bit tighter than normal. I don't do my collar flap, as most people don't, I guess. But I remember putting that on, and, uh, you know, we pulled up on the scene. The first two engines were there. Um, The first truck had just arrived about maybe a minute before us. Battalion came in right behind them. And uh, assignments were being given out. I remember pulling up and just the uh, five inch wasn't charged yet. And I was like, oh, sweet. So we drive over the dry five inch and we, we got the numbers. We put the house, the truck right at the address, which is what we want in our department. So I was like, man, we got money, money parking spot. So uh, pulled up, had, you know, again, fire out the uh, BC corner of the house. And uh, the engine was stretching. And when we arrived on scene, when I went when I went on scene on the radio, the captain gave me a very odd assignment, and he said, "I don't remember." He said, "Come up here and help me. Come give me a hand." It wasn't it wasn't his normal assignment. Normally, he's like you know, truck sixteen primary. Like he's he's very regimented, very rigid, and it was just something was up. So I told the guys on the truck, I said, "Hey, when you get your stuff on, come meet me on the outside of the house. I'm gonna go get us an assignment. Go talk to uh, the captain. Get us have a face to face with him." And uh, so got off the rig, grabbed an air pack, my hat, set of irons, and went to the A side to go have a face to face with the captain. When I got to the front porch of the house, had light smoke pushing out the front. Um, the first dude truck was already on the front porch. The captain and the fireman were working the door. Uh, we had burglar bars all the way around, burglar doors all the way around. Uh, so they popped the door. I had a face-to-face with the first two captain that was still in command at the time. And he said, uh, he's like, Danny, I need a primary right away. I said, hey man, no problem. You know, whatever. And he was, he was tuned up. He was keyed up. At the same time, battalion had arrived on scene and assumed command and was dishing out assignments as well. And he also, at the same time that I was having a face-to-face, he gave us primary search as well to the truck that I was riding. So, cool. We're good to go. Um, and again, you know, with us, uh, the first dude, we were the second dude truck. But for whatever reason, uh, the chief saw fit to make us primary, and that's what we rolled with. But technically, those guys on the first dude truck should have had it. So, they popped the door. Um, we had a good lift. Uh, smoke lifted up. I'm, I'm six, four, I guess it was probably shoulder high, chest high. Um, the engine pushed in pretty quick. Uh, I gave him uh, two or three feeds of hose. We had, we had a bunch of bushes and a porch railing. So it was, it was not the, 
the prettiest stretch, but um, gave him a handful of hose. And, uh, you know, because we had the, um, we had a confirmed entrapment, I elected to go in with the engine. <clears throat> so I took a step inside the front door, took a knee, wiped my face piece off, picked up the camera, uh, took a scan with the tick, didn't see anything, but visibility was great. I mean, we're, I'm on my knees and it's head high tops. The, you know, you could see the chairs. Uh, we were obviously in a living room on the A side of the house. Um, you could see the carpet, the furniture, like everything was money. And we had, uh, I mean, absolutely the best conditions uh, in recent memory for a successful rescue. And one thing I want to point out too is the, the video that went around on social media and in the media um, with fire blowing out every crack and crevice. I did not go crawling into that. <laughs> okay. That, that I think anybody who's been doing this long enough knows you're, you're not going to last very long in that environment. So when we got there, you know, everybody that's been to a one story frame with fire in a back bedroom, that's what we thought initially has, has seen those smoke conditions. We had, you know, it permeated out the front. It was, it was pushing, but not bad. Um, Anyway, took a step in the door, uh, looked towards the Bravo side, picked up the camera and saw some fire blowing around a cased opening that ended up being from the dining room into the living room. So if you can orient yourself to the house, you crawl in the front door, you had a uh, living room in the front. If you went towards the seaside, there was a hallway with bedrooms around the back. Uh, the Bravo side had the dining room about halfway back, and then towards the seaside was um, the kitchen. So picked up the camera, saw the fire, crawled towards it. Um, I was off the hose line, maybe 12 feet. If memory serves, maybe 15, not very far. This is a, you know, again, a, a one story ranch built in the sixties, probably 1300 square feet tops on the, on the main floor. So, uh, got to the case to opening, looked towards the seaside. And I just remember thinking, I was like, boy, these guys are going to have a hell of a fight. <laughs> it was, it was the seaside was burning up. And as soon as I did that, I looked down and the victim was literally at my knees. So uh, I tried to get on the radio, was unsuccessful um, just due to other radio traffic and uh, picked her up and started pulling her. And um, I got about six feet, uh, probably halfway through the living room and conditions just absolutely the fastest I've ever seen conditions change. They changed um, heavy heat, zero visibility. Um, and from what I remember and, uh, you know, back this up, uh, you know, I was a instructor, you know, 1403 instructor, flashover instructor for a lot of years and everything that I saw, um, indicated a flashover. I don't know if it'll ever be defined that way. If it was a violent rollover, I don't care what you call it, but the shit hit the fan pretty quick. So I started seeing, um, conditions change and I just remember thinking this thing's about to flash. And um, again, this, this went from four feet of visibility, three and a half, four feet of visibility to on the floor real quick. Um, I leaned over and tried to cover up the victim the best that I could. And <clears throat> when I was sitting there, I just remember thinking, I was like, this is, we're, we're both going to end up in the burn unit here pretty quick if we don't get out of here. But it, the best part of this is after years of, you know, training and, and being in burnt, burnt hands and, and flashover simulators, I knew I was not on fire. Like I knew my gear was protecting me. I, I remember being hot, um, but I wasn't in a panic like, holy shit, I'm on fire. So 
uh, drug her about a setup, drug her about another uh, six, eight feet, got her to the door frame, and that's where the video that was seen uh, over the media picked up. And I was taken by the first two pump operators. So got her to the front door, and we had a lot of debris on the porch at that point. Um, a lot of the vinyl siding or vinyl soffit had burned off on the porch. So there was, and, you know, when that stuff burns, it sets other stuff on fire. So there's a bunch of burning crap on the front porch. I was having a hard time getting her to, across the threshold. Um, but in the video, you see the two guys coming up the porch were my two drivers. So from the time that um, we hit the door till she was out was somewhere right around 50 seconds, which I think was not bad given the conditions. Um, but uh, yeah, that was it. Um, you know, initially she was, uh, I, I, it was in, in my opinion, pretty good shape. Uh, got her out the door and due to the flashover conditions or whatever it was, um, that was a wrap for that. Uh, we got her out in the front yard <clears throat> and our EMS service that runs the city uh, was coming up the same time. They were bringing some med bags up. We started working her and they called her pretty much in the front yard. So, Cool, cool. Yeah, that time to from door to removal is pretty darn quick. What uh, what method of drag did you use to get her out? Well, she was um, she was head towards me when I got to her, uh, lying on her back. So I literally picked her up under the shoulders, you know, just under the armpits, and and started crawling. That was it. I mean, there was nothing. There was no specific technique per se. It was just the easiest way to get um, her to the door. But, you know, the thing that as far as the drag was concerned, it was ideal. Um, hardwood floors, one rug in the living room. There wasn't a whole lot of debris. Um, there were a few chairs, a coffee table, a sofa, but, um, and, and thankfully she was a, uh, rather petite lady. So there wasn't a whole lot of like heaving and hoeing. It was just, you know, get her moving. And I'm very thankful for that. Cause it was, like I said, <clears throat> at one point when it lit off, I was kind of curious whether I was going to be able to get her out. You know, for a second, I was like, either <laughs> we either have to go. And, and the last thing you want to do is leave somebody inside. But at the same time, if, if stuff continued the way it was, it was going, um, I don't know what decision I would have made. Cool. Thanks. Is there anything you wanted else to add to this? Any other takeaways that you had? Um, as far as takeaways, you know, this was a this was a very unique fire for me. Um, whole, I guess whole, wholly unique. Um, you know, again, twenty two years on the job, and uh, this wasn't by any stretch of the imagination my first uh, fatality or first grab, but. Due to conditions that happened that night, uh, you know, I kind of ran through this. This happened about one in the morning. We were there for till almost shift change um, because we did have a fatality and, uh, you know, arson uh, investigation, the whole nine yards. And I remember the whole time just kind of going through that whole range of I was pissed off. We didn't, you know, we didn't have her out in time. I was pissed off that, you know, the first two companies weren't there for whatever reason. I was pissed off the person that cause those companies to be out. Like you go through this whole thing and thinking at one point I was like, God, you know, given the circumstances that the, the, all the cards that were stacked against this person, um, 
we gave her the only shot she had, even though it was not the best shot or, or, or I shouldn't say that it, it was just a, it was a weird dynamic for me. Um, but we got her out of the house. That was the thing. You know, she, she did not, um, she did not pass away inside the house. She passed away in the front yard and, I, and I'll go to my, go to my maker with that one. But, um, the days that followed were pretty tough for me. Um, I don't know why. Yeah. I was telling a buddy the other day. Um, I feel like everybody's kind of got a, I, I look at it kind of like a coffee cup. Um, and, and I may be stealing this from somebody. I probably heard it in a podcast in the last six, eight months, but I feel like everybody's cup starts to fill up. And at some point I feel like I had a little slosh that day, if that makes sense. Um, and I don't know why I, I happened to catch the, the next day and saw the story about her and um, she was a 93, I believe your old grandmother, probably a great grandmother pillar of the community um, being involved with her church. And I remember watching the news story and just being like, damn. Um, so I kind of had a little, I wasn't in a good place to say the least. And I, and I don't know why, I don't know why this was a call that kind of um, made my coffee cup spill over a little bit or the, and I was talking to our union president and he's like, Hey man, you really need to listen to uh, James Gearing's podcast behind the shield. And I think it was Lee Forstner story. The guy that's the piper for uh, Dropkick Murphys. Uh, Dropkick Murphys. Yeah, yeah. I think it was his story. And I remember listening to it and I was like, Oh my God, like this is just, you know, that guy, what a, unbelievable story and what a, I mean, a gem of a guy to share that with everybody. But I remember listening to that and I was like, man, this is great. And I started listening to more and I found, you know, I mean, that guy's kept me, James, if you're listening, has kept me entertained for uh, the last, uh, you know, nine some odd months. I don't listen to anything on the way to work in the morning. I do nothing but listen to either his podcast, uh, Leadership Under Fire. There's an archive Atlanta one that's all about Atlanta history. You know, so I'm, I'm constantly like, try and feed my brain, I guess. But the, uh, you know, in listening to behind the shield, he dives into that mental aspect a good bit. And I listened to a lot, uh, with Tanya Glenn. Uh, there's another lady out of Kansas city somewhere. I think that, and it's just, it's amazing to figure out how your brain works and, uh, and why you do the things you do. So it really helped me personally. Um, I, I don't even, I mean, I had a, a good group of uh, guys I work with that were doing a podcast at, at the time, but I really didn't, I'm not going to say I didn't know what they were, but I didn't really listen to them. You know, it was just kind of one of those things that people did. And I was like, ah, cool. It sounds neat. But um, I live off those things now. Um, I've listened to a couple of yours and, uh, you know, the, again, if you can do anything to, uh, feed your brain on the way to work in the morning. That's a, that's a great outlet instead of listening to uh, talk radio or terrible music that they're playing now. I mean, why not? <laughs> so uh, we're going to wrap this one up, but I appreciate you coming on Danny and sharing your story. Uh, we hope to uh, get back to you and catch some more of those podcasts or uh, more, more stories of grabs from you later on. I'm sure there's lots of lessons to be learned. Um, if you make a grab or assist alive or deceased, please go to www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com and take a short survey. Uh, this information is for us and by us and updated real time. Uh, it's great, great resource to train with. 
If you'd like to share your grab story on the podcast, reach out to me, Grant Schwalbe. Uh, you can contact me on Facebook or when, through When Things Go Bad. Uh, Justin McWilliams is also recording these. And uh, we've got a new guy uh, working with us now, Nick Ladine, also helping us out. Um, so, again, thank you, Danny. And uh, until next time.